You can open to Psalm 102. Remember, I talked to you last week, what we're going to do in the next couple of weeks, and we're not going to really spend that much more time in the book of Psalms, because I wanted to bring some more of the, the prophetic point of view. Hopefully you see where we've gone so far, where not only there's deeper prophecies of the coming Messiah, as the Messiah and the shepherd and, and, and uh, the suffering servant, and the, of course the king of Israel, but we're also talked about, we also hopefully saw that the Psalms can detail how God thinks. And as an example, what did we do? We looked at the point when Jesus was dying on the cross, and just before he died, he said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Gospels do not feel the need to expand upon that because it doesn't have to. The Gospels are there for a different purpose. But we know that he cried that out, and we saw the psalm that actually details what his heart was feeling. And it also talks, in the other, in, in a, I don't know if it was that psalm or, or one close to it, I think it was, but I can't remember offhand, but we also, we also saw in the Psalms when it says, they have pierced my hands and my feet. We know that was about 700 years before Christ came, never mind quite a few hundred years before even crucifixion was invented. Why would David say those things? It's because this is not just a Psalm of David's heart, although it is. It is also a way for us to lament, a way of us to pray, like the Jews did. It was their psalm book. It was their major prayer book. But they cannot deny that Messiah was not only given to them through the Psalms in detail, but in the book of Isaiah and others. Right? I mean, we, we, we know it's all over the place. But this was their major prayer book. But I want us to see, hopefully, the thrust that I'm trying to bring here. What I also wanted to do, is, which you're going to really start on this week, is to see that there could very well be some deeper prophecy. And we're going to go over it today some deeper prophecy about modern-day Israel. Modern-day Israel was destined to come back in 1948, and that was obviously part of God's plan, just like it was his plan for the sacking of, of uh, the northern tribes by Assyria, the sacking of Judah by Nebuchadnezzar, and then the Romans, and everybody else, right? Why wouldn't this be in the Bible too? This is the, the major event that was going to mark when there wasn't much time left. Israel coming back to her land, with her language, in her way. And the Israeli language up until the 1920s, was, was, uh, Hebrew, was dead. It was considered a dead language. Look at, look at them. Also, I told you this before, and this is very, very important. Very important. And, I, and if you were in my class oh, a couple of years ago, you saw the article I brought here where the University of Wisconsin at Madison did a study of some stalactites in the caves in, in certain parts of Israel. And they found out that right at around the time that Scripture, where God finally kicks out Israel, for good in AD 70. Kicks them out, the land spits them out. That's what God said, I'm gonna have the land spit you out because you wouldn't observe my Sabbaths. That was because of Nebuchadnezzar and they still wouldn't obey, blah, 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 so the land kicked them out, right? How many people tried to settle in that land from the AD 70? And no one could ever make a go of it. And I told you about Mark Twain, Samuel Clements, when he toured the land back in the 1800s. And he said, there's no, I haven't seen a person all around this area. And he was near Jerusalem. I was, actually, he was in Jerusalem. He said, this place isn't fit for jackals. It's totally desolate, totally destitute. The University of Wisconsin-Madison had take these taken these stalactites and indeed saw that it was rain, it was, it was continuous uh, watering of the crops and everything until, guess what? It's right. And then it started drying up and it became the huge desert it is today. And up until the late 1800s, all of a sudden, it started to rain again. This is science proving scripture. And now, what did God say about Israel when they were reconstituted? Get it? Reconstituted? Rain? Never mind. When they were reconstituted as a nation, it said that, that's right, they were dehydrated, and they were like Campbell's soup, right? Campbell's Jewish soup. 
Come on and take a taste. It's good. It's good for you. You have that with a piece of rye bread? Dehydrated. That's right. Reconstituted. It's said that they would blossom like a rose. And indeed they have. Right? Now you ever, see, you ever hear the green line? If you ever look at a satellite photo? Yeah. And everybody else can't grow anything but Israel can. Isn't that amazing? They export fruits and other uh, commodities, other, other grow, you know, uh, planted commodities, roses and things to, to Europe. And they actually taught people in California, this is going back quite a few years ago, the higher uh, art of irrigation in arid areas. And they actually taught them in California because they lived in desert. I don't know if they took their advice because they're still pumping water in from everybody else. But that's beside the point. So wouldn't it be something to not think that none of this would be in the Psalms? That maybe God would, would not track you know how he tracked prophecy, especially in Daniel? We, we saw the statue of Nebuchadnezzar, and he very, very distinctly and in, in, uh, in detailed way shows the Gentile rulership of the world until when? The, mount, the, the, st the stone, uh, the rock, actually it is a stone. I think that this judgment, so it is a stone. We were talking about the other night, anyway. But it is a stone. And it smites that image on the feet at the point where the seed of somebody else, something else, is trying to mingle with the seed of man. And they were not going to cleave together. I don't know if you ever knew that in the book of Daniel. When we get there, I'll talk to you about it. But the point, the point is that the, the, the feet are miry clay and iron, which cannot be made to cleave together for very long. And then the stone comes, smites the image. The whole image becomes this chaff, powder. And then this stone becomes a mountain, which in, which in Scripture is a domain. Right? It's a domain. It's a worldwide domain. It's the millennium. It's Jesus Christ. So... If, if Daniel can show us the detail of the Gentile powers, wouldn't it be something if God did not show us the detail of Israel becoming a nation? Her birth pangs? We know, that that's, we know it talks about the wrap-up of history, right? When the church age is done, and we know what happens in the millennium, it talks about Israel then. Why wouldn't it talk about Israel coming back as a nation? That's a key milestone in God's plan. Well, maybe it does. So let's see. <laughs> All right, Psalm 102. By the way, which book is the Psalms? If you count from Genesis to the Psalms, which book, which number book out of the 66 is that? I'll give you a hint. It's the 19th. All right? Now, I'm just setting something up. Remember I said I wasn't going to be dogmatic about this, but I'm setting this up because I want you to see something that's possible. And we're going to look at some scriptures that make it seem very highly possible, and you can do the research on your own. And I was going to bring a book today, and I forgot to bring it, which goes through all of this. But if you look at the Psalms, maybe the Psalms have a way of tracking in the 19th book that Psalm, uh, you know, Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 and so forth might track the detail of the 20th century as far as Israel goes. Let's think of that. Just think of this. Just keep that in your mind. And I'm, I'm trying to convince you anything. I'm trying to show you what it looks like is very distinct prophecy. We're going to go through some things. We're going to go through some history about World War II and leading up to it. And I want to show you the Psalms like Psalm 34, 35, 36, 19th book, 1934, 35, 36. Oh, by the way, Psalm 48, when it became a nation again, we're going to see what Psalm 48 in the 19th book from the beginning of Genesis shows about possibly Israel's state as they were becoming a nation again. Prophecy. Let's just talk about it. So Psalm 102 might be 2012, might be. Let's take a look. Now, we just talked about some of the things that's going on. You already know what's going on in 2012, right? Let's just take a look at Psalm 102 and read it together. It starts off as, 
a prayer of an afflicted man. Now, I'd say they're pretty afflicted, right, in Israel. When he is faint and pours out his lament before the Lord, and you can see what they're preparing for here. We talked, talked about that. They're preparing very deeply, and it's been said. Remember I told you that there was this reporter that was allowed access to the Air Force and the IDF? Remember I told you about that? I read you the article where he was allowed un unprecedented access, and they told him a bunch of things which we discussed. And one of the things they told him, that there is no illusion in Israel or in the armed forces that all of the men and women going in there will come back alive. They are going to suffer. And not only that, they also have to prepare for, for citizen casualties because guess who's going to start firing rockets out of the hundreds of thousands they have in Lebanon? And they're already setting up for that. We know that Syria is also now uh, setting up missiles on the border with Israel now, right now. You, you see what's going on here, right? So they know that Iran is the, the, Hezbollah is the proxy of Iran. And if Iran gets attacked, guess what they're going to do? They're going to unleash them. So there's going to be a lot of casualties. They know that they will be, uh, let's say, um, afflicted. All right. Let's say maybe that's going to happen this year. Maybe it's going to happen this year. It looks like they're getting ready for it. So let's see what the psalm says, thinking about it as positioning itself to talk about future or present-day Israel in this year. Think about it. Versus just the psalm of, of an afflicted man like David. Okay? Like we've always read it. Just think of it. And just make your own decision. The prayer of an afflicted man. Psalm 102, verse 1. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let me cry for help. Let my cry for help come to you. Does Israel cry to God for help right now? But there's going to come a time when they will. And God will show himself victorious and glorious. Right? Do not hide your face from me when I am in distress. Turn your ear to me when I call. Answer me quickly. It's like, don't take your time, Lord. This is a real heavy-duty time. Things might happen quickly. Verse 3, For my days vanish like smoke, my bones burn like glowing embers. Can you say, maybe attacked by missiles and casualties? Maybe, maybe, maybe. My heart is blighted and withered like grass. I forget to eat my food. Because of my loud groaning, I am reduced to skin and bones. I am like a desert owl, like an owl among the ruins. I lie awake. I have become like a bird alone on a roof. Because no one is there to help her. Sounds like today, doesn't it? All day long, verse 8, all day long my enemies taunt me. Those who rail against me use my name as a curse. How many nations around Israel use her name as a curse? How many times has Ahmadinejad said he's going to push them into the sea and destroy them? For I eat ashes as my food and mingle my drink with tears because of your great wrath. Isn't that interesting? This is the wrath of God, and they're going to know it. This is at least a prophecy to tell them all these things that God is allowing these nations to do because I am punishing you. This is what it says right here. For you have taken me up and what? Cast me aside. But it's only a temporary thing. We know that. My days are like the evening shadow. I wither away like grass. But listen to this. But you, O Lord, sit enthroned forever. Your renown endures through all generations. You will arise and what? So he's not throwing them aside for good. It says in the same psalm right here. At some point, and I believe it's going to be the war here, which is going to be the beginning of the Ezekiel 38 war, if you're familiar with that. This is what I believe is coming next. You will arise and have compassion on Zion. It's t it is, for it is time now. This is like how many years ago? 
before any of this happened. But he's saying it is time now to show favor to her. When he helped her win the battles previously, when she became a nation, she got attacked immediately, right? She had no army. She had nothing. She had a few Cessnas and a few rifles and a few people who could aim straight. And they pushed back the Arab nations. That was 1948. 1956, 1967, 1973. You keep naming it and they keep on winning or at least surviving. But at any of those times, has God really shown her favor? No. You're right. He has not. So if this psalm is saying the time has come, yet future to the psalm, the time has come maybe, maybe in 2012, maybe, right? The time has come to show favor to her. The ap what? Appointed time has come. Do you see what I'm trying to show you here? If this is indeed prophetic of this year, maybe it's not. But it is certainly prophetic of what is going to happen when Israel enters that phase, the beginning phase of the tribulation. And if you read about the, the war in Ezekiel 38, God says, I will show the nations or the nations will know that I am the Lord because I have done this. And what does he do in Ezekiel 38? What does he do? He drives back all those nations. There are tons and tons and tons of humanity laying dead in Israel. Remember, they're going to clean up. They're going to take months, six, six months to clean up the dead, to bury the dead. And they're going to be burning the weapons for seven years, which means there's nuclear capability that Russia has brought into Israel to destroy her. And they're going to win again. But this time it's going to be global. And this time it's going to be big. And as they're cleaning up this battle, and as they're cleaning up and, and as they're not having to pay for fuel for seven years, who do you think they're going to start thinking about giving credit to? Maybe, just maybe. Because they know they can't fight these battles. Verse 14. For her very stones are dear to your servants, for her very dust moves them to pity. We talked about that. Archaeology is proving that it's making people a little more pitying of them because they're starting to show that, especially for Christians who will believe it, that those Palestinians have no right to that land. It's all made up, right? But look at what they're trying to do. Okay, let's continue here. Verse 15. Oh, what did we just say about God, why he's going to do in such a big way when he routes the enemy and kills so many of them on Israeli soil? Which means he let them invade in the first place, right? Okay. Verse 15. The nations will fear the name of the, the nations. Of the nations, do the nations fear the name of the Lord right now? Is it possible that that could happen in 2012? Maybe, the beginning of it? All the kings, all? All the kings of the earth will what? Revere your glory? Uh, that's kind of weird sounding if you look at the way things are today. It ain't no kings looking to revere God's glory. That, that's right. Amen. But they will in that war. And they will. Now, they're also not going to see his power supposedly during the tribulation until the millennium. Think about it. It's going to look like Jesus is here as the, as the Antichrist, right? And it's going to be great for the first three and a half years. And then a sudden destruction is going to come upon and the last three and a half is going to be big. So he's not talking about the tribulation here. He's talking about something that must happen before because the conditions have to be right that they're going to see that the nations are going to know that he is Lord. And if you look at the context of this, this is not the millennium. You, you just look at it. Just look at the context of it. It doesn't. That's right. Or, or beginning, just before the tribulation, when there's going to be something that's going to propel whoever's going to be the Antichrist to be trusted, bring them on the world scene, 
And what's the mark of the tribulation, the very beginning of it? What happens to tell you that it has started right now at this moment? What happens? Don't say the rapture because you'd be absolutely wrong. It has nothing to do with the tribulation. I've said that here before. It's, that's right. That's right. That's right. The Antichrist is able to sign or, or ratify all of these peace deals into one agreement that will be assured and he'll have an army to back Israel's safety up for seven years. And he will also give the order to rebuild the temple. Don't you think that they're going to think he's Messiah? This is what this is talking about, I fully believe. This is not the millennium. This is the setup for that. But before that, th th this, is, this is talking about before that. I'm sorry, before the tribulation. All right. Do you think the Dome of the Rock is going to get destroyed? It seems more now. You know, there are different places they think where the Holy of Holies was, and, and they're thinking now that it was really under that dome. As a matter of fact, we passed where they think it is. When we went into Israel, we were going by the Western Wall, and, the, and the, they excavated the bottom of the Western Wall where the Herodian stones are on the Western Wall. And you have to stop dead pretty much because the Muslim quarter all backs itself right up to the wall where you can't go any further. But there's a place just before that Ariel Sharon concreted in because someone had said that the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant rather, was in there. And they actually got a glimpse of it. Now, this is what I hear. But it became such a bone of contention that Ariel Sharon said, because there was a big blow up about it with the Palestinians. So they covered it with concrete. The whole, the whole entrance, and so I have that on, a, on some video I took, and I didn't think of it back then because it didn't even occur to me, but this area, and, and our guide was talking about the Holy of Holies at that point, and he didn't know it was back there. But supposedly if it is, someone must think it is because they filled it in with concrete, and I have a, 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 just a, a quick shot of this archway, and it's just got concrete. Right at the, at the part of the western wall that gets closer to where the Muslim quarter is. And if you look at an aerial view, the Muslim Quarter is here, the Western Wall is here, it stops here because of the Muslim Quarter. The excavation comes under here, and right about here or so is where the Dome of the Rock is. Remember, I always thought that it was in Ethiopia. It could still be, but if it's not, it's there. And I don't know. I don't know now. I'm, I'm halt between two opinions. Since that time, and since I heard about that and, and the big deal that they did, why would they make such a big deal? In there. Yeah, right. So, I don't know now. I don't know. But I'm, I'm leaning more towards that now as evidence that as things change, you know, you have to, you have to be able to change your opinion. So. I remember when we were walking through there and there were women sitting there in chairs praying and then in the, in the wall, yes. And we were walking by that, that, that area. They right. That was a, the holiest area. Well, they think, yeah, because they think that, this is, this is how they made this up because the Bible says nothing about it. When the temple was destroyed, actually before that, God's Shekinah glory left. He was no longer dwelling with Israel. And then the temple was destroyed. So they think that the, the uh, Shekinah glory went into the Western Wall, which was behind it. And so that's why they put their prayers there, because they think God is still dwelling among his people, like in that wall. Right, of course. Those ladies thought that they were closest to the Holy that, that, Yes, oh, that's your point. They were walking in that tunnel. They wanted to get as Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, they know that. The, the question is, is where... You actually walked part, walked through part of where it existed. On the Temple Mount, yeah. yeah. But we didn't go a lot on the Temple Mount. It's pretty big. In the tunnel we did. But those stones, those are the brilliant stones where they for the foundation. For the foundation. Yeah. yeah. So, I can only tell you what people think. And there's more evidence now that they're thinking that it is there and that they're going to have to put the temple on the... The Holy of Holies has to be on the Dome of the Rock. That's where they think it has to be. And if that's the case, guess what's got to go? So, I don't know. 
But if that's the case, it will go. Maybe an earthquake will destroy it. That's what our guide was saying. Maybe at the time when the third temple comes, our guide thinks that's when Mashiach is actually going to come. Because he's Jewish. That's what he thinks. But he thinks that there would be an earthquake. By the way, they just had a 5.3 earthquake in, in Cyprus, which they felt in Israel, northern Israel, just a few days ago. Friday. It was Friday, as a matter of fact. Anyway, so we're getting off topic here a little bit, and we've got to end soon. But I want to answer these questions. I want you to see how close we are and how the, you see how things, the evidence starts to build. And that's what I, and actually, I'm glad we had this discussion because this is the point I want to make to you very strongly. We all have our pet ideas of what Scripture says. And some of us are very, don't touch my beliefs. Don't touch them. I was like that. But I believe, like Daniel said, we were talking about this this week, where at the end of the book of Daniel is a couple of key phrases you have to think about which apply to prophecy. Okay? After all of that revelation, what does he say to Daniel? Shut up the book and seal it until when? The time of the end. Many shall go to and fro, and they will seek knowledge, or they will, knowledge will build. Now, you can look at the Hebrew word, which is shutit, which actually means many will go to and fro in the Bible trying to find out because it's getting so close. I believe it all boils down to this. We are seeing evidence that either amplifies the Psalms, amplifies other prophecy in Scripture, because you can smell it now coming to life, right? It's no longer a piece of literary beauty anymore. It's, it's actual, this is what's going to happen like soon. And other things like the Book of Enoch and other, other things which have been around for a while. The understanding of the, of the Nephilim versus the sons of Seth, which, which Augustine, I think, created that because he was embarrassed to think that angels could actually cohabit with women, human women, but it's true. The early church fathers believed that, the, the, the apostles believed that, and the, the disciples rather believed that. In the book of Jude, it's referenced, right? So the evidence is coming. Now that we know science and we know what DNA is, it's an information technology system for rapid storage and retrieval, which makes life possible. We also believe now that there is DNA, which is, our DNA is made of the stuff of the ground, right? We talked about this this week. But so what they're looking at, science is proving that if DNA is an simply an information technology system, which it has all the information that makes you you, correct? Well, if we now look at computers, I can take a file which has all of the information of something, right? I could put it on hard disk. I can put it on a USB stick. I can put it on DVD or CD. It doesn't matter the media, does it? It matters that the file is still stored and can be retrieved. So if human DNA is a physical media, like a CD, okay, and angelic DNA is more like memory that's holding something in real time. They're very different, but they still hold information and the information of what life is made of. That's why when you, remember I talked about this, that we, the DNA is called the book of life. Remember I told you that? Why? Because he's got a copy of your ACTG diagram for all of your, all of your double helix. Everything in your DNA, God's got a copy of. So whether you're obliterated in the middle of a nuclear blast, like I said, when the, your body is resurrected, or if you're raptured and you get your new body, the DNA will be different. The information will be pretty much the same, except it'll have other attributes which will make your body a spiritual body. But you will still be you. You will still look like you, you are, except probably at about 30 years old. You'll look great, let me tell you. But do you see what I'm saying? You are information. That's all you are. And if, if, if life is just information, does everybody understand what I'm saying? Does that make sense? People look puzzled here. It all boils down to technology because God uses physics to create this universe. And the way he, and we're mirroring here what he does, right? We talked about light here. Photonic light is the reference standard 
of God, who's the reference standard of everything, right? And what does he call himself? Light. That's all I'm saying to you. Yeah. Yeah. And how they can scientifically prove now that there's different dimensions. And he was talking about how they used to believe how things were formed, but now they know it's actual vibration. That That's right. Things. That's right. And they can prove it. They can like prove it. Ten strings or whatever. That's well. It's, yeah. And so that's and the new age takes that. But see, they, we knew this. We knew this. There was an ancient rabbi called Maimonides. Anybody ever hear of him? He actually said there were probably ten dimensions back in his day. And this vibrations, it's been known for a long time. It's just coming to the fore now. But that's why you've heard of people like Oprah. We talked about her and her vibrations, right? The New Age movement has already tracked this. And they already say that we're moving to a higher level of vibration all the time. So they're mapping the truth of how things operate and warping it into this evolutionary stack. The more you go over time, the more you evolve and the higher your vibration level, which makes makes you a higher quality of whatever you are. That's what they think. So you're right. So he was talking about how he didn't believe in God, but through his scientific work, he all of a sudden believes that yeah. God spoke things into That's right. Existence. But also, which is a point I want to make, you'll notice that because science is proving, without a doubt, that there is a supreme creator and it is planned. I talked to you about Sir Francis Crick, co-discoverer of DNA. He was an atheist, and as soon as he discovered DNA, he knew that this was no such thing, that this could happen by accident. So he couldn't believe in God, so he started believing in aliens that preceded us here. Okay, so these minds, these mega minds, you know, in Charles Darwin's day, they didn't, couldn't see below the cellular level, so that's why it was easy for him to think about evolution. It could work. But once you got into the DNA, the subatomic, I mean, the cell is like a little city, a functioning city with its little power plants and all these little plants and all these things that are making something all the time. There's little roads moving things around. So you, you get deeper into that, and then you see that it's all directed by DNA and genetics, and it's like there's no way he would have come up with a theory of evolution if he would have known then what we know now. And vibration and string theory and all these things which I talked to you about, where the interface between the physical universe and eternity, things get really weird as you get closer to that interface. So we've got like, what, two minutes left here? Like, okay. Anyway, let me just finish up Psalm 102 because we're almost done with it. So, her very dust moves them to pity. Verse 15. Now listen to this. The nations will fear the name of the Lord. All the kings of the earth will revere your glory. Now that is dovetailing into the millennium, isn't it? For the Lord will what? In verse 16. Anybody reading with me? Will rebuild Zion and appear in His glory, the millennium. You see how this moves forward from, I believe, the beginning of the battle of Ezekiel 38. It sort of dovetails, skips the tribulation, and moves to the end point, which is the restoration of Israel and God's name being glorified through the nations. He will, listen to this, verse 17. He will respond to the prayer of the destitute. He will not despise their plea. Millennium. Let this be written for one, for whom? A future generation. Hmm. That a, what? For a people, what? Not yet created. At the time of the Psalms. So let this be written for a future generation, not many future generations, a single future generation. What generation might that be that is talked about in Scripture? That Jesus himself said, the generation that sees Israel will be the one that will be alive for the end. So maybe, this could be, maybe, 2012, you see the progression here from a pre-tribulational war 
where God's name is, is, is looked upon that they're going to know he saved Israel from almost being obliterated yet again. It sort of bridges over the full tribulation and talks about when Israel will be rebuilt and restored by Jesus himself, who will be here. And it says that let this be written for what? A future, a future, that a people, a people not yet created may praise the Lord. Let's finish this up. Verse 19. The Lord looked down from his sanctuary on high from heaven. He viewed the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners and release those condemned to death. So the name of the Lord will be declared where? In Zion. When is that going to happen? When is that going to happen? Well, kind of, but when is that? When is his name going to be declared in Zion? When Jesus is there. And his praise in? That gives you another hint, doesn't it? When the peoples and the kingdoms assemble to worship whom? Yahweh, the Lord. So they're going to assemble. But who's, who's going to come up year after year during the Feast of, of Trumpets? I mean, the, the Feast of Tabernacles. All nations, right? Right? Doesn't he say that? Anybody know this? Anybody hear about this? It says it in Scripture. That's right. And what's going to happen to them? It says in Scripture. No. No. It says that their nations will just, God will withhold rain. Remember, Jesus, he's not going to destroy. He's going to run a government, and he's going to also rule with a rod of iron. And we're going to be there to help govern the peoples. So we can stop here. I just want to make this point, because I want to make this clear. When looking at this psalm, if this were all to happen, either this year or next year, it's going to happen. It looks like this is laying out pretty broadly the just before the beginning of the tribulation, just at the time around the rapture, which has nothing to do with any of it, right? But if you look at it, what is it actually saying? It's saying that the Lord will come. He's going to be ruling from Jerusalem. He will restore Israel because they will be the head of the nations during the millennium. That's what the whole millennium is about. It's the kingdom of Israel, right? That's what it is. We're not bringing in the kingdom, church. <laughs> There's been lies, lies through centuries that the church is going to bring the, we're the No, you're not that special, folks. We are not that special that we replace Israel because God would be a liar if he allowed us to do that. So this is showing right here what's going to happen. So he's going to rule from Jerusalem. It also says with a rod of iron, which means that when the millennium starts, it's not going to be all roses. I talked to you about Egypt and prophesied in Isaiah that 40 years is going to be uninhabitable. It has to be during the beginning of the millennium. It has to be. It has never happened before. There's going to be some nuclear exchange that's going to blow up the Aswan High Dam. Because the, oh, Russia helped Israel, uh, Egypt build that thing, and it's humongous. It's, it's, more, it's stronger than, than the Hoover Dam for the area it covers. And when that thing gets blown up, someone, probably Israel, is going to do it to wipe out Egypt, because all they have to do is use a nuke to blow that thing up, and radioactive water will flood Egypt. Flood it. And they will not be able to grow anything. They will not be able to live there like Chernobyl. For 40 years, that's what Isaiah says. Has it ever happened before? No. So it's going to happen some point, and how much longer do we have left? Then we also have to look at Israel, seven years cleaning up the mess, burning fuel, right? That's going to happen after. So if it's seven years, three and a half years into the tribulation, what happened to Israel? Anybody know what did Jesus say? When you see the abomination of desolation stand in the holy place, those who have ears should understand this. What happens to Israel? What does he say? Flee. Right, so that's three and a half years into the tribulation. That means they don't have seven years in the tribulation to be burning the fuel. During the tribulation, they're going to be gone for the last three and a half years. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
Do you really think about what I'm saying here? That means if they're going to spend seven literal years cleaning up and using fuel from what is left there from the war, that means it's got to be seven years, contiguous years, at least into the first half of the tribulation. At least. But it can't be during the tribulation because they're going to be gone three and a half years in. So there's, there's your seven years. You can't do it. You look at the prophecy for Egypt. That's why I'm telling you, there's probably going to be a gap between the rapture and the actual tribulation start. It could be a couple of years. So we can go home anytime. So if this starts this year, if your redemption draweth nigh, you better look up. Do you see? I'm trying to lay out a timeline for you. And we're trying to show you how Psalms maps. We're going to do more of this next week. You're going to be amazed because we're going to go. We didn't get to it today. But we're going to talk, go over World War II, the beginnings of Hitler coming to fruition and the Allied forces coming in. I'm going to read you the detail of the history and I'm going to show you the Psalms, how it maps into that history. And I want you to be the judge to see if you see any validity in this concept that the Psalms really do detail very clearly what God must know is going to happen is a key point in prophecy is what's happening now since Israel became a nation in 1948. Anyway, have a great week, everybody.